king, an obsession. Journey into the world of Iskorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the white door. Join us once more as we step through the white door. Chapter 5 The Murderous Musicians I mean, what is a shortcut, really? Spindle said as he turned over a smoldering cutting table with his foot. As he did, a glint of steel caught the sunlight, reflecting the light back up into the halfling's face. The taller elf next to him said nothing, as he was of well enough education to understand his partner's question to be rhetorical, and merely waited for him to continue his rant about how bad shortcuts usually are, a conversation that had sprung up earlier in the day when a stranger shortcut had almost gotten them killed. A shortcut is probably only called that because it's the shortest route to getting cut. I mean, most shortcuts are perilous. If they weren't, well, hell, everyone would travel the shortcut way and it'd just be called the road. Most shortcuts are only seen by memory of those who've already come. And by the time you deal with the uncultivated problems of most shortcuts, you haven't saved any time at all. The halfling slapped the back of his left hand into the palm of his right to further accent his point. The elf cast a quick glance down at Spindle the halfling. Of the fourth jailer's member, Spindle was the only one who never shut up. Halfway to this vile little cottage, Spindle had begun his usual ramblings, going on and on about how their half-troll ally and fellow musician Cadman killed more people with his cello than he did with his axe. Once their elf leader, Tentellus Lindari, led them down an ill-mannered shortcut, Spindle began commenting to Cadman that Slendari was trying to get them killed. Mantic, lute player and dashing lover of card tricks, agreed with Spindle and thought he should write a strongly worded letter. This conversation about shortcuts and letters had lasted all the way to the cat's cottage, and now Slendari was simply tired of hearing the little halfling's mouth. The Gelders were first and foremost large Archibald's eyes, ears, and hands out in the world of Visgalda. But secondly to that, they are musicians. Not just a band of ragtag killers, but a compiled conglomerate of professionals, all of whom were as good at killing as they were at playing their instruments. By day they would grace the court and the king with music, seating them always near the king, always near he who gave them purpose and power. No, not the Jolders was also the Gandish Quartet, a musical pride of all of Angfarn. King Ragmar loved music and death, and the Jolders were fitting to fill both loves. Rumor had it the Gandish Quartet's elven violinist had a violin so beautiful they could put one under the effects of hypnomancy. At that moment, that very violin hung from Slendari's belt shining a near perfect gloss in the sun. Slendari was just about to tell Spindle how little he cared for the conversation, as it had not changed much since they set out when his ears picked up sound from the nearby tree line. His eyes scanned the brush as his left hand naturally went to his violin. Slendari? Spindle said, following the old stare out into the trees just in time to see some rather loud and rowdy pixies fly out from a bush and buzz away. Bah! Pixies! 
Sundari said almost under his breath. Creep me right out, they do, came a scratchy voice a few feet behind the elf and the halfling. Both Slindle and Spindari turned around, kicking up small clouds of ash as they did. Mantic, Sundari said, as a man in black tuxedo and white vest approached. The man's top hat seemed slightly taller than necessary, yet it oddly came off more menacing because of it. The wind blew against the elf and halfling's back, building Mantic's short cloak as he approached. The inner lining of the cloak was bright red, matching the fine thread stitching of his pants and boots. Manic sneered at the two as he approached, removing his top hat, revealing a thick mop of brown hair which contrasted much to his otherwise sharp appearance. Yes, my fearless elf leader, Manic said sarcastically. I'm sure your kind just warms pixies right up, Slendari replied, folding his arms in discontent. Yeah, over an open fire with potatoes and bacon, laughed Spindle. Manic followed suit. Oh, it's not your fault he's in such a bitter mood, Manic joked. I mean, a human only showed him up by killing nine of those last fourteen or so Templars. Or Knights. Or Knights Templars. But afterwards, at the show, I nailed that loot solo. Right over that violin line. Which no one noticed. Yawn. Ah, yes, and it will surely be the last time I allow you to play one of my violin solos on that horrid stringed box of yours, shot back Slendari. At that point, Spindle reminded them both of his incredible bass playing skills, and they told Slendari where they both could shove their swords. The halfling never said the word scabbard. So vulgar you halflings are, said Slendari as he walked around Manic and back towards Cabin the half-troll, who was standing with the horse restringing a black cello. Spindle and Manic watched as the elf nimbly darted through the cottage's smoking rubble in fashion only elves could do. He walks like a fresh barmaiden, all prim and pressed for a night out with the guard, said Spindle as he moved past Manic and off towards Cadman the half-troll. Manic looked out towards the half-troll, who was now too busy watching a hare near the trees to notice much of anything. He is stupid, thought Manic. Oh boy, can he play that cello. Cadman was the only one of the four Jeldors who had not come from some illustrious background or far-off land, nor was he trained. Cadman was enslaved as a young trolling and raised as a house slave. He was taught how to play the cello and not much else save polite comments and servitude and how to properly make dinner and perhaps a cocktail in the evening. Even to this day, Cadman would respond to any question or words directed at him with some random and courteous words of his own. Spindle often took great heart in this, for he loved to say, Cadman, your mother was a boulder, and your daddy can't regenerate his limbs. And Cadman would respond, Yes, sir, I can get you a second glass of wine. Nonetheless, Cadman could wield an axe in ways that impressed even the axe dwarves of Mound, the clan of dwarves that had perfected the art of battle axe fighting. So, pretty impressive. Once all four of the Jeldors regrouped around their horses, Slimjari withdrew a small black bag from one of the horses' saddles. Cadman, Mantig, and Spindle all got quiet, for this was always their favorite part of Jeldors' work. Perhaps aside from murder and the occasional amazing solo. Slendari opened the bag and removed from it a single egg about the size of a man's fist and as black as the bag carrying it. A Kabbalist egg, they called it, and within it, the power to speak to those who had died. 
Currently, the Jelders were the only ones authorized to use such tools, and the capitalist birds had all but disappeared from wildlife, making it exceedingly difficult for anyone to gain access to the eggs. Rumor had it, however, that Largo Archibald had a massive aviary stocked with the last of the capitalist birds. Okay, we found one body near the center of the rubble, and Spindle has already discovered the origin of the fire. It seems that magic fire was used to light the cottage from the inside. Now that would tell me that this boy you heard about either started the fire or had some assistance in doing so. Either way, the cat who called for us should be able to reveal more information. Sundari said this as he broke from the meeting and began walking back out to the burnt remains of the cat's cottage, shortly followed by Mantic, Cadman, and Spindle. Shuffling the center of the wreckage, the Jelders found the body of Bali and propped it up against the bricks of the old fireplace, much of which were still standing. Those scorches they were. Slendari moved close to the body and broke the black egg in his hands, which immediately began to drip its yellowish-green insides onto Bally's head. The black egg's goo ran down the old feline's face, taking on a life of its own when it reached the cat's nose and mouth, slithering its way in. Within seconds, the cat's body began to twitch lightly, following by an exploding gas for air, much like someone who had been underwater a little too long. Now, cat! Open your eyes. Share with us what you have seen, Slendari said with an authoritative hitch to his voice. Bally opened his one eye and sat quietly for a moment before speaking. Those rat bastards. They stole me eye. Bally's burnt paw rose up and filled his face with the eye had been. No matter, cat. The creator saw fit to give you two. Now show us what you saw. Usually when someone brought back by a capitalist egg, the last few things they saw would stream from their eyes out into a little, what you could call a hologram of events, floating in the air. The eye they left is blind, you twit! I can't see a damn thing! Bally hissed. Death often can make one quite grumpy. Slendori shot the rest of the jolters a look of aggravation before addressing the reanimated Bally. He knew that the capitalist egg would only replay what was seen, which was now nothing at all. Well, you must tell us something. You called us here, cat. You spoke words of the white door. Now talk. As Sundari yelled talk, he kicked the cat's body, though he was fully aware that Bally could not feel it. There, there was a boy, Bally stuttered. He came to my cabin with talk of a white door on his lips. Said uh, he came through a white door. Next thing he knew, he was at the door of my own cottage. He carried a blue wand and wore garments of the likes which I had never seen. His pants were made of some rough blue hide, and his shirt had barely more to it than holes for his limbs and head. I, I, I tried to question him and get from him what I could, sirs. Belly suddenly felt that if he told them that he had shared the White Door's history with the boy, that surely the Jelders would take him away, a far away place, a darker place than death. And as Galda, there were always things worse than death, and one of these being Lord Archibald's death mines. These were the mines where the reanimated enemies who the king saw unfit for eternal rest worked for, well, all time, eternity, take your pick. Bally could recall hearing of the mines as a young cat, and though no metal ever came from them, the mines were never empty. Many spoke that there was nothing there but dirt and rock, endless and pointless digging, punishment for her the king saw as disloyal. Enough your babbling, old-timer. Give us some real, usable information, Manic said, removing his top hat. Yes, sir. 
and thank you for your comments. I'm sure the housemaster will be most pleased. Could I perhaps walk you to the cloakroom? Cadman blurted out with a helpful look on his face. Quiet, Cadman. This is no time for you and your manners, Spindle said as he laughed and his eyes met Slendari. He quickly straightened. Now listen, Cat, you had best tell us what you last recall or it will be the death mines for your hide. Slendari said as he reached down and took Bally by the scruff, pulling him to a standing position. The elf was angry at the situation, and a small part of him was impressed that someone, or something, was smart enough to remove the old cat's one good eye. Obviously, someone who knew the inner workings of Kabbalist eggs, or the Jelders. Well, sirs, I was cutting up some pixies. Pixies? Sundari yelled the word as he let go of Bally, who slumped to the ground as the dead body would. He raced over to the tree line where he'd saw the pixies a few moments ago, scanning the area with his heightened elven vision. Now that he was closer to the trees, his keen hunter's eyes picked up footprints and signs of life from all around the area. Signs of more than just pixies, that much was certain. The elf bent low and picked up a pine cone, sniffed it, and threw it angrily at a large nearby oak. He turned back to face out where the rest of the gelder still stood with Bally's body. Spindle called out to the Slendari before the elf leader could say anything. The old cat says the boy seemed awfully interested in the well-being of those pixies. Says the boy took a bit of a heart twist when he saw them cutting up for soup. Pixie soup. Can you believe that? Spindle made a face of disgust at the thought of pixie soup. Yes, sir, said Cadman, looking up at Spindle. The soup is compliments of the housemaster. Slendari stepped between a tree line, circling the area for many a minute, eyes searching the woods for any sign of the boy's direction after leaving this spot. The boy had escaped, that much was certain. Surprisingly to the elf, the pixies had opted to help the lost boy. Slendari didn't know much about pixies, but what he did know did not suggest pixies to be much in any of the way of the kindness. Something was happening. Either way, Slendari could not find a trail leading in any direction. The footprints seemed to pepper this little area, then vanish altogether. Damn pixies, he said in his mind. Slendari stood for several long minutes. The elf returned to the other three Jolders, who had pretty much frozen in place, watching and waiting for him to make a notion that it was time to move, time to put down the instruments of music and draw forth the instruments of death. With a bit of quiet disappointment, much in the same manner as a child who did not get what he wanted on his birthday, the Jolders awaited Slendari and what he had to say about the tree line and the pixies. Manic seemed especially disappointed, placing a small dagger back in his unnecessarily tall top hat slowly. The boy is being helped by the pixies, though for what reason I am uncertain. He was there and only moments ago. Slendari pointed over to the tree line where he had previously been. Well, he couldn't have gotten far then, Manic said, looking around the area, letting his disappointment fall. Far enough to elude your elven eyes, Spindle added, with a half-cocked smile on his face. If your eyes are bothering you, good sir, I could close the curtains, Cadman added, rubbing his own eyes. The music ended long ago, but this one goes on dancing nonetheless. The halfling joked, gesturing at Cadman, his half-smile sliding into an all-out grin. Enough! Sundari commanded firmly, holding his hand up for silence. Now you listen to me. The boy ought not to have gotten very far. I would guess that the pixies will guide him around for, I don't know, as long as it is in their personal interest. You know how they are. 
If the boy's trying to get to the door, then he will most likely travel north, passing Dristal. We can cut him off there quietly. Cutting him. Mmm. That sounds dandy to me, Spindle murmured, backing out of the circle the four teammates had formed around Bally and walking back towards the horses. Slendari looked down at Bally's scorched body, then back up at Manic, who was now shuffling a deck of playing cards. Slendari hated Manic's magic tricks, especially the ones involving cards. Only a human could mock magic in such a way. Only a human, thought Slendari, could possibly take the mystic arts and turn them into some false skill of amusement, a child's plaything. To the death mines with this one, and for you too if you don't put those ridiculous cards away, said the elf. Manic smiled deeply into the elf's face, fanning the cards before pulling one and holding it up in front of Slendari so that he could see the card's face. Don't forget that card, he added, sliding the card into the deck and shuffling them several times before fanning them out again. Mantic knew Slendari hated card tricks and took any opportunity to rub the elf the wrong way. It was the right way for him. The joys it brought were almost as good as those felt after a fantastic concert or an equally bloody fight. Out of my face with your paltry fool's games, Mantic, Slendari said, pushing past him and strutting off towards Spindle and the horses. Slendari stopped a few steps out and turned back towards Mantic, his cloak catching a breeze as he did, flaring it out in a display of beautiful colors. Besides, the card you showed me, the two of clubs, it's hidden in your sleeve. I saw you do it. You forget. I know real magic. The type that doesn't involve sleight of hand or invisible wire or some other misdirection. The elf added this in a most pompous voice. In fact, the most pompous one he could muster, which was quite a bit. Mantic let the deck of cards slip from his fingers, cascading all over Bally's body which had since gone back to being dead, as the capitalist egg had worn off. Either way, his spirit was very angry that it would spend the rest of eternity down in the death mines. In a voice of disappointment, Manic said, Ah, you're too good for me, wise elf mage. He pulled the card from his sleeve. Aha, Slendari began. See what I told? Manic flipped over the card, revealing an ace of hearts, something different. What kind of... What kind of trick is that, Slendari said. Mantic pulled off his top hat in a wide swoop, flashing the elf a smile as he did. Oh, whoop, in the hat? Like a rabbit? How absolutely original, said Slendari, his face burning a little that he had been wrong about the card's location. However, what occurred next turned the burning in the elf's face into an all-out inferno just under the skin. From the overtly tall top hat, Manic pulled a beautifully crafted violin, etched in green runes and adorned with strings of the purest silver. It was Slendari's violin. The elf immediately patted where the violin was supposed to be on his belt. You bastard, he said, approaching Manic with a handout. What did I tell you about touching this violin with your grimy, disgusting human hands? Mantic handed Slendari the violin, who snatched it harshly and placed it back on his belt. The saddest part is, Mantic started, if there were a crowd, the cheers around me would be deafening right now. Slendari stared into Mantic's beaming face with a look that might actually be capable of killing. Without a word, the two walked together through the rubble and off towards the horses. Join us next time as we leave Slendari and the murderous musicians and return to the boy from that way as he adventures down the old red brick road and into more whimsy and danger. Don't miss Chapter 6, The Prince and the Tailor.